What is up, everybody? JT Sports here. Back to you guys with another episode of the JT Sports Podcast. On this episode, we're going to be discussing, are the Cincinnati Bengals legit Super Bowl contenders? Why Matt Corral should be the starting quarterback for the Carolina Panthers this season? Also going to be talking about my first-year expectations for first-year head coach Mike McDaniel and the Miami Dolphins. And lastly, how good will Spencer Rattler be with South Carolina this upcoming college football season. Now, if this is your first time listening to the JT Sports Podcast, welcome. I appreciate you for tuning in. Make sure that you follow me on all of my social media platforms. You can follow me on Twitter at JT Sports underscore underscore and on Instagram at JT Sports underscore. If you haven't already, make sure that you are subscribed to my YouTube channel, which is JT Sports. Now, last season, the Cincinnati Bengals caught the whole entire NFL world by surprise when they not only made it to the playoffs, but they also won the AFC North division. And if that wasn't surprising enough, the Cincinnati Bengals continued to shock the world by beating the Las Vegas Raiders in the wild card, then upsetting the Tennessee Titans on the road, then going right back on the road and beating the Kansas City Chiefs and making it to the Super Bowl. And although they came up short in that Super Bowl, they were really competitive because there were a good amount of people out there who thought that the Cincinnati Bengals were going to go into that Super Bowl against the Rams and that they were just going to get blown out. So... One of the biggest storylines, probably the biggest storyline going into the upcoming 2022 NFL season probably has to be, are the Cincinnati Bengals going to be able to repeat the success that they had last season, or are they going to prove to the majority of people out there or the majority of their critics that last season was a one-off season? And honestly, coming from a Pittsburgh Steelers fan, I think that the Bengals are legit Super Bowl contenders. I don't think last season was a fluke season. And I don't think they made it to the Super Bowl by luck. Like, you don't know how many people I have talked to over the last couple of months that told me, man, JT, the Cincinnati Bengals are going to fall right back down to earth. They made it to the Super Bowl by luck. Like, that doesn't really make a lot of sense to me. I don't understand how a team can make it to a Super Bowl by luck. And look at who Cincinnati beat. Like, they beat the two best teams in the AFC in the postseason. Like, if you don't want to give them credit for beating the Raiders, okay. But you at least have to acknowledge the fact that they beat the Tennessee Titans on the road, who, remember, by the way, Tennessee was the number one overall seed in the AFC. And also, they had a fully healthy Derrick Henry. Then... The following week, they go on the road in the AFC Championship game and defeat the Kansas City Chiefs for the second time in that year because they had already defeated Kansas City um, late in the regular season, which that win ended up clinching the AFC North for them. So you look at Cincinnati, I think that this team is going to submit themselves as being legit Super Bowl contenders for at least the next four to five years because you have Joe Burrow on a rookie contract. You still have all of your best players playing on rookie deals. So for Cincinnati, what did they do this offseason? Did they address their areas of need? Yes, they did. Pretty much the biggest Achilles heel that Cincinnati had Going into this offseason was the offensive line. And what did Cincinnati do this offseason? 
they improved the offensive line. So you was already pretty set already at left tackle with Jonah Williams. He, without a doubt, was the best offensive lineman that the Bengals had last year. Then you have left guard Carmen Jackson, who they drafted, and... I don't really know how good he's going to be because last year was his rookie year, but I'm eager to see how much he improves this season. Then you bring in Lyle Collins, Alice Kappa, Ted Karras. Like the Cincinnati Bengals went from having one of the worst offensive lines in the NFL to having one of the best offensive lines in the NFL in the span of only one off season. And I was really interested in seeing you know what Cincinnati going to address the offensive line because for me personally like I didn't need I don't need to see Cincinnati play this season for me to consider them to be Super Bowl contenders like normally I take a wait and see approach you guys know how I am I'm pretty conservative I don't really like to make a lot of predictions until the season is near but I'm pretty confident in saying that I feel like Cincinnati is going to make it back to the postseason at least even if they don't make it back to the Super Bowl, I still feel like this is a playoff caliber football team. And if they miss the playoffs, I would be incredibly shocked because like this team is just way too good just to have so much talent and just fall off the face of the earth. Like I really just can't see it happening. And on top of that, like Cincinnati showed me this offseason that this is a different organization. This isn't the Cincinnati Bengals that we have known previously that used to be cheap, didn't want to spend a lot of money in free agency. Like, this is a Cincinnati organization that is committed to winning. They are committed to putting out as much money that is needed to field a championship caliber football team. And they proved that this offseason by addressing the offensive line. Then, on top of that, you pretty much have your best young players still under contract on rookie deals. Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, all are on dirt cheap rookie deals so for Cincinnati like you're still going to have your young core around for at least the next three to four years and then on the defense side of the football because we talk about how good the offense was last season which is easily why a lot of people overlook how good this defense was last year like this defense was the most underrated unit in the whole entire NFL because there were a good amount of games that the Cincinnati Bengals didn't win because their offense they won because of their defense and there are several examples of this like you go back to the second half of the AFC conference championship game right They were trailing Kansas City going into halftime. Patrick Mahomes and company were moving the ball up and down the field with ease. Well, what do the Cincinnati Bengals do in the second half? Oh, they only hold Patrick Mahomes to 55 yards passing and force him to throw two interceptions. Great adjustments. Like, this coaching staff does a very good job at adjusting after halftime and even in-game adjustments. So, for me... As a Steeler fan, I got to be completely honest with you. I feel like the Cincinnati Bengals are here to stay. I feel like this team is going to be in that championship conversation for years to come. Because not only does this team have one of the best rosters in the AFC, they have one of the best rosters in the whole entire NFL. Like, top to bottom, like, 
this roster doesn't really have a lot of holes. Like, we already know how good they are on the offensive side of the football. But defensively, like, you look at Sam Hubbard, who has seven and a half sacks. Easily, easily one of the more overlooked and underrated pass rushers that we have in the league. Because when you have a guy like Trey Hendrickson, who's coming off back-to-back double-digit sack seasons, what, he had 14 sacks last year, 13 and a half sacks the year before that. When you have somebody who's you know, having that kind of production, it's easy to overlook a guy like Sam Hubbard who's having a seven and a half sack season. And anytime you have somebody who's consistently able to put up six or more sacks a year, that's really good. Because there are a lot of teams who would love to have at least one consistent pass rusher who could at least give them six sacks every single season. Then you look at the linebackers. Now, the linebacker position is where I get into the most arguments with a lot of people about because... Most people, you know, casuals out there, they judge players by their PFF grades, right? And Logan Wilson and Jermaine Pratt didn't really have outstanding PFF grades last year. However, if you, you know, actually watch the games and you trust your eyeballs and, you know, you give them the eye test, they were actually pretty solid. At least in the postseason, like in the postseason, like Logan Wilson and Jermaine Pratt, like they elevated their level of play. Like even if they weren't as good in the regular season, like they were phenomenal in the postseason. And if they're able to continue their performance that they had in the postseason and they're able to bring that into the 2022 NFL season, this defense is going to take monumental steps because this was already a really good defense. Now this defense has potential that if Logan Wilson and Jermaine Pratt keep up that level of play that they had in the postseason this is the defense that maybe could end up being top five or a top seven unit in the league and that's scary to think because imagine this imagine having a top five offense and then you have a top 10 defense and here's the thing it's crazy that Cincinnati had one of the best offenses in the NFL last year despite having one of the worst offensive lines in the league now, imagine all the damage that they're going to do this year on the offensive side of the football with one of the best offensive lines in the league. Like, it's going to be crazy. Like, Joe Burrow just might win NFL MVP this year. He just might throw 60 touchdowns this year. And no, I'm not saying that as a joke. Like, I'm being dead serious. Like, Joe Burrow might just go for 60 touchdowns this year. It might happen because, like, the dude only had what, two seconds to throw the football, maybe three at most, now you put him behind the best offensive line or one of the best all O-lines in the league, and you give him more time to throw, oh my goodness, boy, things are going to get ugly if you don't have a good secondary or if you don't have a good pass rush. Now, when it comes to Cincinnati coming back down to earth, I don't think they're going to miss the postseason. As a matter of fact, I would be incredibly shocked if Cincinnati missed the playoffs. And if you've watched or listened to the podcast for the last couple of months or years, you guys would know that I don't normally like making a lot of predictions until nearing the start of the season. However, I'm going to go out and give you an early prediction. I think that Cincinnati is going to end up making it to the playoffs. Now, I don't know if they're going to end up having, you know, the number one overall seed. And I don't know if they're going to end up winning more games than what they did last year. They might end up winning 11. But this division is really tough. And you definitely do have to acknowledge that. Because the whole entire division got better. Like, Cincinnati got better. 
And the rest of the division also got better. You look at the Cleveland Browns, they upgraded at the quarterback position with Deshaun Watson. Now, pending, we don't know what Deshaun Watson's status is when it comes to him playing this year. Like, it's really weird. There's always something new about his legal situation coming up. Like, now he has to go back to Houston or they're trying to get him to come back to Houston for, like... It's weird. There's always something with the Deshaun Watson soccer. There's always something new coming out every single day, it seems like. But if he does play, the Browns are going to be there. Then what about the Pittsburgh Steelers? Like, the Pittsburgh Steelers, I don't know if you guys forgot, but they made it to the playoffs with one of the worst old lines in the league, pretty much zero to minimum offense. The Pittsburgh Steelers' most valuable player, other than T.J. Watt and Cam Hayward and Mingo Fitzpatrick, was Chris Boswell. Chris Boswell was probably one of the best offensive weapons that Pittsburgh had because he was one of the only people who was actually putting points up on the board for Pittsburgh. Then you look at the fact that they improved the offensive line and they finally bring in their guy at quarterback and Kenny Pickett. Like, Pittsburgh could be a really scary football team. Then you look at the Baltimore Ravens. Like, the Baltimore Ravens were already in everybody's, you know, Super Bowl conversation. There were a good amount of people who picked them to win the AFC North last year. There were also a good amount of people who felt like they could end up making it to the Super Bowl. However, you know, injuries derailed their season before it really got started, like, their whole entire running back room went down with injuries. Then you had Lamar Jackson who dealt with injuries. And that pretty much eroded away the season that the Baltimore Ravens had, which started out with a lot of promise because at one point when Lamar Jackson was healthy, the Baltimore Ravens had like what the number one or number two seed in the AFC at a point. And then once he went down, things just kind of went downhill from there. So for Cincinnati, you know, it, it is going to be really hard seeing them winning more than, you know, 11 games games and getting the number one seed with how tough this division is going to be like we're not going to see Joe Burrow throw for over 2,000 yards against the Baltimore Ravens again like he did last year like the Baltimore Ravens probably have had one of the best off seasons in the NFL along with Cincinnati and I think you know you could say that pretty much every team in the AFC North has had a really good off season no team really got worse from this division. But when you look at Cincinnati, you know, if you had to ask a Bengals fan, okay, what's the position that you have the most worries about? It's probably going to be, you know, a corner. It's not really the whole entire cornerback group because Jadobio Wouzier was the best cornerback that the Bengals had last year. Then you got Mike Hilton, who we already know is probably the best lot cornerback in the league. But you re-signed Eli Apple to a one-year deal. And it kind of surprised me, you know, because a lot of people, when you think about Eli Apple, you think about him talking a lot of trash on Twitter and not being able to back it up, allowing Cooper Cup to score the go-ahead touchdown, which pretty much sealed the victory for the LA Rams. But a lot of people also forget all of the good moments that Eli Apple had. And he had a lot of big moments where he came up big for Cincinnati. Like, I've got what game it was, but he had a pass that he ended up tipping to another defender on the Bengals team and ended up getting intercepted. And 
and ended up winning the game for Cincinnati. So for as many lowlights that Eli Apple had last season, he also had a lot of big moments for Cincinnati as well. And if Eli Apple was, you know, terrible, I'm pretty sure Cincinnati wouldn't have re-signed them. I'm pretty sure he wouldn't even be on the NFL roster right now. Now, I am really intrigued in seeing what they're going to do with rookie defense back Daxton Hill out of Michigan because he can pretty much play anything when it comes to secondary you can put him at corner you can put him in the slot you can put him at any of the two safety positions and we don't know what's going to happen with Jesse Bates because Jesse Bates got franchise tag now we don't know if him and Cincinnati are going to be able to come to terms on a long-term extension before the season and if they're not able to come to terms on a long-term extension you know is there the Is there a possibility that maybe Jesse Bates gets traded before the season starts? I don't know. That's really interesting to figure out, but I guess we're going to get the answers to that coming up in the next couple of weeks and months. Then you also have Von Bell, who also is pretty good. So for Cincinnati, like this is a really talented roster, and this is a team that I think their coaching staff is really good when it comes to making adjustments. Like Cincinnati is going to be in the po- is going to be in the postseason this year. Like I don't think they're going to have that big of a drop off. Now, how far are they going to go in the postseason? That remains to be decided. I'm not going to give you guys that. I'm gonna hold off on my Super Bowl prediction. But when it comes to Cincinnati being in that Super Bowl conversation, I definitely feel like they deserve and they definitely belong in that conversation. Because at least when you're looking at them on paper, this team looks to be one of the best in the league. And with the improvement of the offensive line, you know, like they're going to be even better on the offensive side of the football. And if they didn't play in the AFC North, like they played in the AFC South, like, or like, you know, maybe the NFC South, they probably end up winning that division with ease because like this team is just so good. And this is coming from a Pittsburgh Steelers fan, by the way. And, you know, I don't have no problem giving the Cincinnati Bengals their roses. Like, I've been giving the Cincinnati Bengals their flowers since, what, week five of last year? Like, I I admit it right off the bat that, hey, I was wrong about the Cincinnati Bengals. Even though it's not like I had them being one of the worst teams in the league like most people did. Like, I had them winning somewhere between six and seven games. I said the best case scenario for Cincinnati, you know, maybe they could end up winning 10 games if everything goes right but I didn't know the offensive line was going to hold up now I don't have that same worry about Cincinnati that I did last season because now you have one of the best offensive lines in the league and then think about Joe Mixon I also can't forget about him so I mean like this team is going to be really good and I mean like if you don't view Cincinnati as a Super Bowl contender right now, you're going to take a wait-and-see approach with them. I can understand that. I can understand sometimes, you know, when a team kind of comes out of nowhere, they kind of have to prove themselves because you remember when the Jacksonville Jaguars, that 2017-2018 season they had, when they went all the way to the AFC Championship game and they were a bad call away from making it to the Super Bowl, like, I don't know why the referees overturned that, but that obviously kind of screwed over Jacksonville. And Jacksonville, you know, like, they were really close to beating New England in that AFC Championship game. But like I told everybody, it was going to come down to Blake Bortles. So, like, when you look at Cincinnati, like, this is a organization that is not the same that you used to think that it 
Cincinnati is not the same organization that they were years ago. Like this is a completely different organization. This is a organization that is now committed to doing whatever it takes to field a competitive football team. This is a franchise that is committed to winning. And this is a franchise that now with them actually having a taste of the Super Bowl for the first time in what? I don't know when's the last time they went to the Super Bowl prior to last year. So for Cincinnati, like, I feel like that franchise with them getting into the Super Bowl and them coming really close to winning it kind of made the front office say, you know what, like, we're we're going to improve the team so much that if we get back there, we're going to win it. So you look at Joe Burrow and you look at the impact that he has. Like, I think Joe Burrow is the kind of player that as long as he's your starting quarterback, you're not going to miss the playoffs too many times. And we think about Carson Palmer. You know, Carson Palmer was really good during his time with the Cincinnati Bengals. However, he wasn't as good as Joe Burrow. Like, Carson Palmer was a good taxi driver. You know, if you gave him the keys and you gave him a couple of parts, he could get you there. But he could never really get you over the hump. And really, no previous Cincinnati quarterback has been able to get Cincinnati over the hump because like didn't Cincinnati have like one of the longest droughts in the NFL without a playoff win? Well, Joe Burrow gets to the playoffs his first time in his career, and he automatically gets you to the Super Bowl. So, I mean, like, Joe Burrow is the kind of player that as long as he's on your team, you always have a fighting chance. I call him Money Burrow because if you he, – he comes up a lot in, if you pick if you pick him in the spread. So, Money Man, Joe Burrow, Joe Seisty, Joe Burr, whatever you want to call him – the dude is legit. The dude, in my opinion, is a top three, top five quarterback already in this league. Like, as long as he remains under center for Cincinnati and Cincinnati continues to, you know, give him the pieces necessary, they're going to be in that Super Bowl dis- discussion. I feel like this season they're going to submit themselves as legitimate contenders in the Super Bowl conversation for the next couple of years to come. Now, we're going to be having a good amount of quarterback competition during training camp before the regular season kicks off you know we got Marcus Mariota versus Desmond Ritter we're going to have Kenny Pickett versus Mitchell Trubisky you know and we're going to have Matt Corral versus Sam Darnold and this is going to be a really intriguing quarterback battle and when you talk to Panthers fans, you know, like, there were a good amount of Panthers fans that didn't really want Carolina to draft the quarterback early. There were a lot of Panthers fans who wanted Carolina to improve the offensive line first, then address the quarterback situation later if there was a good one available later in the draft, which that ended up happening. Matt Corral ended up falling to you in the third round, even though you kind of had to trade up for him. They traded up with the Patriots, giving up their fifth and third round selections. But I mean, I think that you're getting a quarterback that's going to be able to come in and start right away. And as a matter of fact, you know, like, I think that Carolina should start Matt Corral this season because like, Matt Rule's on the hot seat, and you Panthers fans already want him gone, so I'm pretty sure he's already on a thin leash. So if you're in Matt Rule's shoes, and you're on the hot seat, and you're pretty much coaching for your career at this point, who would you feel more comfortable with, Sam Darnold or Matt Corral? I would have to go with Matt Corral because, like, we've seen Sam Darnold And we've seen what Sam Donald is. Sam Donald is a backup quarterback, a fringe starter at most. Okay. Like 
Everybody keeps saying, oh, JT, like, you got to give Sam Darnold a chance. Like, you got to give him weapons. He needs this. Like, you got to build a good team around Sam Darnold. Like, do you know how long we have been hearing this? We've been hearing this for, like, the last three years. Okay, like, I'm done. Like, I've seen enough out of Sam Darnold. Like, you want to know one of the biggest life lessons that I've learned over this year? I learned that you have to be able to learn when to cut ties with people. Because... Me as a person, I'm somebody who doesn't give up on things easily. You know, like if I fail at something, I keep trying and trying and trying again until I go to, I'm going to go to the grave trying. You feel me? That's just the kind of person I am. However, when it comes to people, you know, like certain people, you can only give a certain amount of chances until you have to cut ties with them because the longer they stay around, the longer they're going to hinder you achieving your goals. And for Carolina, you know, like, the longer Sam Donald remains the starting quarterback in Carolina, the more he's going to hinder this team being able to make it to the playoffs. Because, like, the dude only played good in, like, three games. The first three games of the season against the, what, the Texans, the Saints, and I forget who the other team was. I think it was the Jets. Somebody let me know. But, I mean, like... They weren't good, and when they played the Saints, like, the Saints coaching staff, like, got COVID or something like that. So, after they started out 3-0, they came back down to earth really, really fast, and I was waiting for them to come back to earth because I knew it was going to happen. Like, everybody was already saying that they were going to be playoff contenders. Everybody was hitting me up saying, oh, JT, like, you don't think Carolina's a playoff team still? And I was like, nah, because, I mean, like, it's only the start of the regular season. Let's give it some time. And, you know, like, for Sam Darnold, you know, like I kind of had high expectations for him going into last year. Well, I wouldn't say high expectations, but it's me. But I, I it's like I kind of felt like he would be okay. I felt like he would be decent. I didn't know he would end up being one of the worst quarterbacks in the league last year because, like, Carolina, like, although the offensive line wasn't that great, like, he had weapons. You had DJ Moore. You had Robbie Anderson. And even though Robbie Anderson is kind of inconsistent at times, like, he's still solid. At times, he's still a really good deep threat. He's one of the best deep threats in the league. It's just that, you know, they couldn't find ways to get him the ball. You also had the play calling, which wasn't all that great, which they ended up firing their offensive coordinator midseason on this day off. So for Sam Darnold, like, I've seen enough of Sam Darnold. Panthers fans deserve something new. And Matt Rule and the Panthers general manager, you know, like, they've tried going the veteran quarterback route Matt Rule's first season, they brought in Teddy Bridgewater. They moved on from him. Then you bring in Sam Darnold year two. Like, he doesn't really give you any stability at the quarterback position. So, I mean, like, you failed when it came to bringing in veterans. How about now you try to draft somebody, develop him, and see what he can do? Because for Matt Corral, like, he has the skill set to start day one. And I don't care if he needs the city year or whatnot, like, Matt Corral gives you a better chance of making it to the postseason than what Sam Darnold does because Matt Corral has a super fast release, which is something that Sam Darnold doesn't have, which is something that a lot of Panthers fans always harp about when it comes to Sam Darnold is that he gets the ball out too slow and he holds on to the football too long. Matt Corral's the opposite. He has a fast release. He also has a really strong arm and he has really solid mechanics. Like if you go and you read the scouting reports on Matt Corral, if you go to um, NFL.com or you Google Matt Corral's um, scouting report, you're not really going to see too many people in their scouting reports harp on Matt Corral's mechanics. Like his mechanics are pretty much 
as good as they're going to get for a rookie quarterback. Like, he has a really tight release. Like, he has pretty solid footwork. Like, Matt Corral's mechanics are really solid. He also has the ability to extend plays. Very good mobility. However, you know, he needs to learn how to slide because he kind of has a slender build. And his running style, like, the dude runs reckless. Like, the dude just runs with caution to the wind. And he gets messed up a good amount of times. Like, there were a lot of times last season where he got effed up. Like, a lot of dudes will put in Matt Corral on their highlight tapes, boy. Because he got messed up a couple of times last season. So, even though he is tough. Dude needs to learn how to slide if he wants to be able to prolong his career because durability is a huge concern of his. He's also really good when it comes to his accuracy and the short and intermediate range. And that's why I think that Matt Corral gives the Carolina Panthers the best chance to win because Ben McAdoo reportedly was very confident in Matt Corral's skill set and the fact that he felt like Matt Corral would be able to transition into his offense smoothly according to the Carolina Panthers general manager and when it comes to offensive coordinator Ben McAdoo who is the new OC for Carolina the kind of offense that he has ran in the past has been you know a, a up-tempo west coast style offense you know rhythmatic passing you know, three-step drops, getting the ball out fast off bubble screens, you know, slants, drags, and whatnot. And, you know, a lot of people consider his offense to be kind of vanilla, a little bit too simplistic. But, however, I feel like him having a simplistic offense could be more of a pro versus it being more of a con when it comes to, you know, Matt Corral. Because Matt Corral... The biggest knock on Matt Corral is that a lot of people don't really know how good he's going to be when it comes to being able to make full read progressions and being able to, you know, dissect the NFL defense because he kind of played in a quarterback-friendly system at Ole Miss with Lane Kiffin that's predicated off play action and a lot of RPOs. And when it comes to RPOs, you know, like, you're not really doing a lot of reading. You're kind of only reading, like, one or two things. You know, you're either trying to see how many people are in the box or you're trying to see, you know, who's covering who. If he ends up crashing down, then you throw it to this guy. So for Matt Corral, you definitely want to see how much he's going to improve and his ability to you know process defenses and being able to make the proper decisions but you know that's what coaching is for you know there's going to be a lot of Panthers fans who are probably going to comment on this video and say JT Matt Corral is not ready to start yet but it's like if you have a coaching staff you know he should be able to get coached up and over the next couple of months and he should be able to play week one and on top of that like Matt Corral isn't going to be in the situation that Sam Darnold was in last year. Like, Sam Darnold was playing with a not-so-good offensive line. This year, the Panthers' offensive line is tremendously improved a lot, and their offensive line should be really solid this year. So for Matt Corral, he is going to end up playing behind a really solid offensive line. You're going to have Chris McCaffrey back in the backfield. Hopefully, he can stay healthy. Then you're going to have DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson, Terrence Marshall. Like, you're going to have enough weapons for Matt Corral to have a successful rookie season. And Ben McAdoo, you know, like, according to the Carolina Panthers general manager, like, he played a big part in the decision to draft Matt Corral. As a matter of fact, you know, like, they asked for his input because Ben McAdoo has been really accurate when it comes to his analysis on 
quarterback prospects coming out of the NFL draft in the past. As a matter of fact, according to the Panthers general manager and the discussion with WNFZ, the clubhouse, he said that we've seen his old reports and they're timestamped, and he's very accurate in terms of his quarterback projections. Back in 2017, when Ben McAdoo was the head coach of the New York Giants, remember ESPN had reported that the Giants and Ben McAdoo, or at least Ben McAdoo, was trying to make a strong push for the Giants to draft Texas Tech quarterback Patrick Mahomes. However, that didn't happen. Then, in a 2018 interview with the New York Post, prior to the draft, Ben McAdoo was asked to rank, you know, some of the top quarterback prospects in that 2018 draft. And he listed them in order. And the quarterbacks that he listed in this order, number one, he had Josh Allen. Behind Josh Allen, at number two, he had Lamar. Then he had Sam Darnold at three, followed by Josh Rosen, Mason Rudolph, and Baker Mayfield. So, I mean, like, the dude definitely has an eye when it comes to assessing the quarterback position. And also, another thing that the general manager for Carolina said is that when it got to this year's class, we did lean on him and his expertise, he added. And he also said that he really likes Matt Corral's quick release and his mobility in the pocket, his ability to see the field. So he had a strong conviction on him, and Ben McAdoo's a big reason why Matt Corral is here with the Carolina Panthers at this moment. So pretty much, Ben McAdoo pretty much said that, hey, man, like, I feel like Matt Corral is the guy that I can have the most success with in this offense. So Matt Rule is putting a lot of faith into Ben McAdoo. And not only is Matt Rule putting a lot of faith into Ben McAdoo, but the whole entire front office seems to be putting a lot of trust into Ben McAdoo because, like, we're not worried about the defense. Like, their defense is going to be really good. I mean, they have one of the best young defenses in the league. Like, they have studs everywhere on defense. Brian Burns and Jeremy Chen are the two main players who comes to mind in that regard. But, like, for Matt Corral, like, it seems like Ben McAdoo sees something in Matt Corral that, makes him think that he can have success with this guy immediately because let's be honest like if you think that Carolina traded up for Matt Corral for him to sit behind Sam Donald for a year I think you're sadly mistaken because you got to understand the situation right now Matt Rule doesn't have the luxury of being able to look forward into the future because he knows that there might not be a future because if he doesn't end up producing this season, he's going to end up getting that pink slip. He's going to end up in the unemployment line, probably going back to coaching in the college football ranks. If Carolina ends up not living up to the expectations that, you know, the people and the owner in the front office have. So for Matt Rule, like, it just makes sense to start Matt Corral. Like, Matt Corral gives you the better chance to succeed. Like, we've seen Sam Darnold. As a matter of fact, we've seen enough out of Sam Darnold. I want Sam Darnold to succeed, too. But it's just like, in Carolina, I just don't think it's going to work. And we've been saying, oh, all Sam Darnold needs is a good coaching staff and a good team around. Like, we've been hearing this for years. For years. For years. And you got to remember, like, this dude was a first-round pick. Like, a first-round pick has to be able to overcome dysfunctionality. A first-round pick has to be able to overcome not having the best team all the time because when you're a first-round pick and you're drafted inside the top 10, the majority of the time you're going to a poor 
organization that doesn't really have a long history of consistency and success. So when you look at Joe Burrow, was he playing behind the best offensive line in the NFL his rookie season? No, he was not, and it got him killed. It got a season in the end early. You get what I'm saying? And even last year, he was still playing behind one of the worst offensive lines in the league. And yet, you know, he took him to the Super Bowl because he had good weapons on the outside. So for Sam Darnold, like, it's really no excuses because I've seen quarterbacks do more with less. Like, come on. Gardner Minshew. Gardner Minshew had a better two-year run than what Sam Darnold has had in his whole entire career so far. Like, Sam Darnold isn't even, you know, like, if you were to rank all of the starting quarterbacks right now, or not even the starting quarterbacks, if you were to rank every single quarterback in the NFL, including, you know, the second stringers, Sam Darnold probably would be, like, the 35th or 36th ranked quarterback. And I'm not even trying to be funny. Like, I'm being dead serious with you. Like, for Sam Darnold, like, I know he has flashes and whatnot, but at this point, like, we've seen enough. Like, give my guy, Matt Corral, a chance. Like, the dude has a really good arm. He is really accurate in the short intermediate game. And apparently, you know, Ben McAdoo views him as a great fit in his scheme and in his offense. So, I mean, like, honestly, I feel like if Matt Corral starts, I wouldn't be surprised if Carolina makes it to the postseason. As a matter of fact... If Sam Darnold is a starting quarterback for Carolina this year, Carolina would not make it to the playoffs. You're looking for a hot take? You're looking for a way too early prediction? There you go. I normally don't like doing hot takes. I normally don't like doing predictions before until we get near the start of the season. But for those of you guys who just want a prediction, there you go. If Sam Darnold is a starting quarterback for Carolina, they're not going to make it to the postseason. Now, if Matt Corral is the starting quarterback for Carolina, I think that they have a very good chance of being able to make it to the playoffs because one thing that I think Matt Corral is ahead of and Sam Darnold in several aspects is his decision-making. And on top of that, like I feel like he's a more confident quarterback than Sam Darnold because I saw a guy in Matt Corral, like when his team needed him, to make big plays, the guy stepped up. The guy put his body on the line. Like The guy played in a bowl game that... A lot of players probably would have sat out of. And the dude got injured in this same bowl game that a lot of people say he should have sat out of. So that shows you how much heart he has. That shows you how much passion he has. That shows you the kind of leader this man is. Like, everybody in that Ole Miss program, they had nothing but rave reviews about Matt Corral. Now, I know he has some off-the-field issues really early in his career, but ever since um, we, ever since Lane Kiffin arrived at Ole Miss, like, you've heard nothing but positive things about Matt Corral, his worth ethic, his leadership. Like, this is a guy who's going to rally the troops. And when you look at Sam Darnold, like, I saw an interview, like, a couple of days before the draft when somebody asked him, um, what about the possibility of Carolina taking another quarterback? Like, the dude was like, you know, it's out of my control. You know, if it happens, it's happening. Like, that's not kind of what I want to hear from my starting quarterback. Like, I want to hear my starting quarterback say, like, Man, like, if they take a quarterback, it is what it is. Like, I'm still going to go. I'm still going to compete. I'm still going to give it my all. You get what I'm saying? Like, I don't want to hear none of that. If it happens, it happens. So, basically, like, you're going to allow Carolina to drive another quarterback, and you're just going to let them take your job? You get what I'm saying? Like, where's the confidence? You get what I'm saying? Like, where's the moxie? You get what I'm saying? Like, I want I want somebody who's confident. You get what I'm saying? Now, I don't want nobody that's cocky like Aaron Rodgers cocky or anything like that. But I want a quarterback that's going to, you know, have some confidence. You get what I'm saying? And that's why I really like Matt Corral. Like, Matt Corral was 
my number one ranked quarterback at one point. And I still held him in a pretty high regard. So for Carolina, like, I feel like Matt Corral's going to do some really big things for Carolina if he ends up getting a start. And I've seen a lot of Panthers fans, you know, well, not a lot, but I've seen a small amount of Panthers fans disrespect Matt Corral and compare him to Will Greer. Like, Matt Corral and Will Greer are not even the remotely same players. Like, Will Greer didn't have the kind of mobility that Matt Corral had. He also didn't have the arm that Matt Corral had, neither, or the athleticism. Like, Matt Corral, Will Greer, two different quarterbacks, don't disrespect Matt Corral like that. On top of that, if you're a Panthers fan... You better be hoping that Matt Corral isn't Will Greer. Because, I mean, you need a quarterback. Like, do you guys want to make it to the postseason? Do you guys, are you guys tired of, you know, like, being on the couch and watching your favorite team um, not do anything come January, February? Like, if you're Carolina, you should be rooting for Matt Corral to succeed. And, I mean, you probably should be rooting for Sam Darnold, too. But, I mean, like, Matt Corral has... More talent and more upside. And we already seen Sam Darnold. So for me personally, like, I think that the Carolina Panthers should be starting Matt Corral week one of the upcoming NFL season. I'm not saying they should just give him the job. I do expect Matt Corral to, you know, win this job outright during, you know, OTAs, training camp, the preseason. I expect that. So if Matt Corral ends up, you know, starting week one, I think it's going to be more because he just was the better quarterback and he won the job outright. So you guys let me know what you guys think. Do you guys think that the Carolina Panthers should start Matt Corral over Sam Darnold? Because I think they should. I think that Matt Corral gives them the best chance to succeed. And I had somebody on Instagram talk about how, you know, the Carolina Panthers have one of the toughest schedules in the NFL. Like, who cares? Like, what does that mean? You got the toughest schedule in the NFL, and you want to start Sam Donald again? Are you serious? And I understand you got to have a better team, but at the end of the day, like, there are certain things that Sam Donald does that aren't really implications of the town around him. There are just certain things that he just isn't good at doing. Like, he's not good at taking care of the football, and he doesn't really read the field all that well. You get what I'm saying? Like, these are things that... You know, a guy who's been in the league as long as Sam Darnold has should already have fixed. Yet, Sam Darnold's been in the league longer than, you know, Matt Corral has. And he still has as many issues as, you know, you could say Matt Corral has. And you get what I'm saying? So, also for Sam Darnold, like, it's not all his fault. You know, he kind of got, you know kind of, you know, messed over or screwed over by the New York Jets because they failed to build around him and it kind of held back his development. And now, you know, he has all these problems and all these bad habits that he never was able to get coached out of because of him not really having the greatest talent around him, getting punished. However, you know, like you got to go out there and you got to make plays, man. Like I ain't see Justin Herbert making excuses for having, you know, a bad offensive line his rookie season. Dude went out there behind a not so great offensive line and had the great this rookie season that we've ever seen from a rookie quarterback so I mean I'm not really trying to hear no more excuses for Sam Darnold if the dude starts he needs to get it done you get what I'm saying but if the Panthers were smart and if you're Matt Rule if I was Matt Rule I would start Matt Corral I've seen enough you gotta learn how to cut your ties because if Carolina ends up starting Matt Corral I think they have a really good chance at making it to the postseason. But you guys let me know how you guys feel about this down in the comment section down below if you're watching this on YouTube. So I want to talk about my first year expectations for new head coach of the Miami Dolphins, 
Mike McDaniel. Now, Mike McDaniel previously spent time with the 49ers. He was their offensive coordinator. He also had a couple of other roles on Kyle Shanahan's staff throughout the years. And I'm going to be honest, this is my favorite head coaching hiring of all time. Like, as soon like as soon as I saw the notification pop up that said the Miami Dolphins are hiring Mike McDaniels to be their next head coach, I was like, who is Mike McDaniels? And I looked up and I saw how he looked. The dude kind of looks a little bit nerdy and geeky in a lot of people's eyes. I was like, oh, yeah, like, this dude is going to do some things. Like, I'm expecting Mike McDaniels to have a lot of success with the Miami Dolphins. Like, if you hear him talk, the dude just knows so much about football. Like, I'm like, golly, man, like, I I get it. You, You know a lot, man, and... He's automatically an upgrade on the offensive side of football because now you're actually going to have a guy who knows what he's doing on offense because, like, I know there are a lot of people who are big fans of Brian Flores and whatnot, but let's just be honest. Like, Brian Flores, and I don't like using this term a lot, but he was kind of overrated. Like, a lot of people considered him to be one of the best coaches in the league, but yet, like, he didn't even make it to the playoffs, not one season. However, he did, you know, overachieve and whatnot, you know, being able to win six games, his first year of the roster that he had was definitely a miracle. However, it's like the dude had like three offensive coordinators. And I don't even know how that how that process went. Like three offensive coordinators, like first it was two. Then I asked a couple of Dolphins fans, he said, no, like we actually had three offensive coordinators. So apparently they couldn't find a RPO scheme alone. So they had to bring in two other guys to come up with a scheme since Tua was limited by his hip, his his strength, and his inability to roll out the pocket due to the fact that the Dolphins didn't have a good offensive line. So it's like, I don't even know how Tua was supposed to develop when you had three offensive coordinators like, how how does the play even get radioed in? Like, do, like, the two offensive coordinators on the sideline, like, have, like, a little debate about what's going to be the play call? Then I guess they radio in to somebody else, and he gives the play call to Tua. Like, what? You get what I'm saying? So, like, I don't understand, you know, why people hold Brian Flores in such this high regard. Like, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying the dude is a bad coach. Like, the dude was a solid coach, but not, you know, a great coach like a lot of people try to make him out to be like. People trying to make him out to be like he was a top 10 coach in the league or something. Like, he was a top 10 coach in the league. Why didn't he get the Dolphins to the postseason? You get what I'm saying? And, like, on top of that, like, dude was toxic. You get what I'm saying? Like, I understand he didn't want to uh, I get that. He wanted Justin Herbert. But the reports are, like, he was an a-holder to a, to a degree. Like, he was calling the dude trash in practice, like, bringing them down. Like, there were times that we are forced to work with people that we don't want to work with. Okay? And it was stupid on the Dolphins' part by drafting the quarterback who your head coach didn't want in the first place. You get what I'm saying? However, it's like, it's still one team, one goal. So even if you didn't like Tua, like, it wouldn't make a lot of sense to, you know, talk down on your starting quarterback, ruin his confidence, and then you further ruin his development or hinder his development by, you know, complicating the play calling process. Like, how could any quarterback, you know, have success with three offensive coordinators? Like, that makes no sense. And I'm not saying he had three different offensive coordinators, like a different offensive coordinator every season. Like, no, the dude literally last season, the Dolphins had three offensive coordinators. Literally. 
So for Mike McDaniel, you know, it's a breath, it's it's a breath of fresh air because now you have a guy who knows what to do on the offensive side of the football. And we know kind of what system Mike McDaniel is going to implement is going to be similar to that West Coast style offense that Kyle Shanahan runs in San Francisco. So we're probably going to see Miami put a lot of emphasis on running the football. But on top of that, I'm really intrigued in seeing the creativity that Mike McDaniel is going to bring to the Dolphins offense because you have two of the fastest wide receivers in the game and Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle. So it's like, how do you game plan for that? And if Mike McDaniels is the kind of offensive guru that I think he is, this offense potentially could end up being top five or at worst top 10 because everybody talks about, you know, how Tua doesn't have a strong arm and whatnot, but you don't have to have a strong arm to be effective quarterback in the league. Drew Brees didn't really have a strong arm. There are plenty of quarterbacks who have been successful in this league without having a strong arm. You don't need a Josh Allen or a Justin Herbert kind of arm to be successful. There are different ways to win in this league. And for Tua, you know, he wins it by dominating in the short and intermediate passing game, which I think that Mike McDaniels is going to put a lot of emphasis on. He's going to get that He's going to get that run game going. He's going to set up the pass game with the short passes. And then when the defense starts trying to play over the top, that's when you take shots downfield and beat them over the top. And with Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle, that shouldn't really be that hard to do. Like, Tua doesn't really need that strong of an arm. Really, like, all he just needs is for them to just create a little bit of separation. As long as he has enough arm to lead them for Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Hill to run after the ball, that's really all he needs. So it's like... When you have two of the fastest wide receivers in the NFL, like, you don't really need, you know, the greatest quarterback to get them the football. All you really need to do is get them out in space. Tyreek Hill doesn't need the greatest quarterback to be throwing him the football. All he needs is just space. And by running bubble screens, slant passes, drag routes, sending Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle in motion, that's going to cause a lot of problems for the defense. Then on top of that, you improve the offensive line. You brought in left tackle Teron Armstead. You bring in offensive guard Connor Williams. You also bring in a good amount of running backs like Chase Edmonds, who formerly played for the Arizona Cardinals. I love him. I think the dude might end up being the beast. Then you bring in Raheem Mostert. Like, the Dolphins have a lot of talent on the offensive side of the football going into this season that Tua Tavaloa never had previously. So for Tua now, he has all the keys to the Mercedes. Now he just needs to drive them to the postseason. I think that most definitely could happen depending on how a couple of things work out when it comes to their schedule and whatnot. I'm still waiting for the official schedule to be released before I give my official prediction on the Miami Dolphins making it to the playoffs or not. But if you were to ask me right now, JT White, do you think the Dolphins are a playoff contender? Yes, they are. And with Mike McDaniel, you know, like I expect this team to be in the postseason this year. Now, I know some people, some Dolphins fans may be like, oh, you, your expectations are a little bit too lofty. Like, no, no, they're not. Like, Brian Flores last season had this team on the brink of making it to the postseason twice. You get what I'm saying? So Brian Flores had this team coming close on the outside looking in again into the playoffs. Mike McDaniel should be able to get this team into the postseason. The team should not be going backwards in no stretch of imagination. No excuses. You get what I'm saying? There's no excuses for Mike McDaniel winning less games than what Brian Flores did. Especially with the fact that now he has even more talent to work with on the offensive side of the football. And on top of that, he's an offensive-minded coach. 
So with him being an offensive-minded coach, the offense should be the strength of his team. And he also sounds really excited to be working with Tua Tavaloa. And it's, you know, it's kind of refreshing to hear somebody speak good of Tua because we never really heard Brian Flores speak good of Tua. As a matter of fact, you know, not too many people ever really speak good of Tua. And I'm really hoping that Mike McDaniels works out as a head coach for Miami. And I really believe that he will because most coaches that come from these Sean McVay or Kyle Shanahan coaching trees, like these guys really know football. So for Mike McDaniel, like I'm really excited to see what he's going to do this year with Miami. Like this offense should be no worse than top 10 and his defense probably still should be really good. Even though you're not going to have, you know, the defensive expertise of Brian since he was a defensive-minded coach. He specialized on that side of the football. Like, you still have enough talent that as long as the defensive coordinator for Miami is, you know, at least competent or at least solid in play calling, like, the defense should still be pretty good. There shouldn't be a tremendous drop-off. Their defense shouldn't go from being you know, what it was last year being really good to being one of the worst in the league, you know, like they just have way too much talent. They have one of the best quarterback tandems in the league with Byron Jones and Xavier Howard. Like you have a pretty good pass rushing duo. You have Emmanuel Ogba, who's been your most productive pass rusher. Then you have Jalen Phillips, who should have a breakout season going into his second year in the NFL. So this is a Miami Dolphins team that does have enough talent to at least get into the playoffs as a six or seven seed. So my first year expectations for the Miami Dolphins with new head coach Mike McDaniels is to at least make it to the playoffs as a six or seven seed. Because like that's really what this team has been at least over the last year or so, they have been a borderline playoff team. And you look at the moves that they made this offseason by signing guys like you know, Connor Williams and Teron Armstead and trading for Tyreek Hill. They have went from a borderline playoff team to being a playoff contender. So they should be in the postseason. They should at least be able to get in, find a way to backdoor their way in, you know, six, seven seed. And then, you know, maybe win a game in the wild card round and get in, and then get knocked out in the divisional round. So for Miami, it's just way too much talent for this team to not make it to the postseason. And if Mike McDaniel and this Dolphins team ends up winning less games than what Brian Flores has done previously, then I'm going to look back at this hiring and I'm going to say, okay, like now I have my reservations about it. But Mike McDaniel, from everything that he said, and everything that he's talked about wanting to implement and everything that he wants to do with Tua Tavaloa and whatnot, like, I think that this hiring is going to end up being one of the better hirings that have went down this offseason. And then on top of that, like, you look at Tua Tavaloa, like, Tua Tavaloa is also going to play a big part into the equation determining how good Miami is because he's he's gained weight. The dude has bulked up. He's trying to get more healthy. He's trying to improve his durability because the only way Miami is going to have legit chance of making it to the postseason is if Tua Tavaloa is able to stay healthy. But I mean, you do have Teddy Bridgewater. So I guess even if Tua isn't able to stay healthy, like I think Teddy is good enough to get you there also because you kind of have like a similar skill set with him and Tua not really having the strongest arms, but really being good in the short and intermediate passing game. So playoff or bust for the Miami Dolphins are my first year expectations for this team with their first year head coach and Mike McDaniel.
The last thing I want to talk about before we wrap up this episode of the podcast, how good will Spencer Rattler be with South Carolina in 2022? Now, I recently just got done watching the spring game. I was kind of irritated because I couldn't find a way to watch the full spring game. Doggone it, Disney and ESPN for making everything, having to be watched through ESPN Plus or having to pay for everything. But I had to watch like the highlights. It was like 30 minutes of the spring game. And I was able to gather enough information and I was able to see enough that made me comfortable making this video about Spencer Rattler because like I think he's going to end up having a really solid season for South Carolina this year. Now, I don't think he's going to end up putting up, you know, Heisman numbers, anything like that. But I think he can be around, you know, 24 touchdowns, seven interceptions. He's also probably going to have, you know, four or five rushing touchdowns on the ground. So he should be accounting for, you know, at least 30 total touchdowns. And South Carolina, like, this team looks way better this season at least from what I've seen in the spring game compared to where they were last year. Like last year, like their offensive line play wasn't really the greatest. The quarterback play wasn't all that great neither. So now the offensive line in the spring game definitely looked way better compared to what it did last year. Then you look at Spencer Rattler, like his arm strength was on full display in the spring game. And it's like, he wasn't taking a lot of shots downfield, but it's like, you could really see it because when he was dropping back, he was throwing the ball off his back foot. When he was rolling out, like the ball was coming out with tons of velocity. Like you can definitely see that Spencer Rattler has a lot of talent. And there are a lot of people who are Oklahoma fans who are rooting for Spencer Rattler because many OU fans feel like the reason why Spencer Rattler's season kind of fell apart was largely due to Lincoln Riley. And I agree with that. Like a lot of people clamor that Lincoln Riley is one of the best offensive minds, if not the best offensive mind in college football. And I do agree with that. However, like he deserves a lot of the blame for, you know, why Spencer Rattler's season went the way it did because he never really tried to adapt the offense. Like, okay, you understand, you you know that Spencer Rattler isn't really the best quarterback when it comes to going through all his reads. So, you know, kind of simplify it. Make it easier for him to make reads. You know, make a more quarterback-friendly scheme. Like, the dude is supposed to be the quarterback whisperer. He got Kyler Murray, Baker Mayfield to the NFL, Heisman Trophy winners. We always hear about how much of a quarterback guru he is, but yet he wasn't really able to make those adjustments. So you bring in Spencer Rattler, South Carolina, Shane Beamer. I think that, you know, bringing in Spencer Rattler has been a breath of fresh air for the South Carolina program. And not only has it been a breath of fresh air for the South Carolina program, but it's also been a breath of fresh air for Spencer Rattler because when he was asked about, you know, how last season went for Oklahoma, he described it as toxic. And I mean, like a lot of people viewed his comments of him being, you know, a drama queen, but I don't view it as him being a drama queen. Like he was asked the question and he was being honest about it. Like it was toxic. So for him going to South Carolina, you know, I've been seeing him make a lot of polls saying how he loves the atmosphere. He loved the fans who were in attendance at the spring game. Like he loved the energy that they brought to it. Like, the dude just looks very happy to be a South Carolina Gamecock. And a lot of people kind of overlooked how productive this program has been over the last couple of decades. Like, this has been one of the better programs in all of college football outside of having, you know, the down years that they've had experienced. But 
I think that this is definitely a program that is on the up and up. And for Spencer Rattler, like I expect him to be one of the better quarterbacks in college football. And there are still many people who have him slotted as being a first round quarterback if he's able to bounce back this season. So for Spencer Rattler, I'm expecting him to be really productive with South Carolina this year, even though they probably aren't going to do, you know, nothing crazy. They're probably not going to win, you know, like the SEC or anything like that. But what Spencer Rattler is going to do is he's going to make this program, you know, a little bit more relevant in the national spotlight because... A lot of people, unless you're a diehard college football fan, they're not really paying that much attention to South Carolina football. However, with Spencer Rattler at the helm, more people are going to have more eyes on South Carolina because a lot of people are going to be interested in seeing how this season plays out for Spencer Rattler. Is he going to look like the same quarterback that he was last year with OU? Or is he going to be a quarterback that is now going to be a little bit more calm, a little bit more patient when it comes to going through his reads, not just, you know, going off his first read and then bailing outside the pocket and whatnot. Like, is he going to trust his offensive line? Like, I'm looking for development. Because we didn't really see a lot of development out of Spencer Rattler last year, which is why his season went the way he did. It did because he was the same quarterback that he was his freshman year. Still really good, super talented. It's just that he needed to get better. He needed to improve, and he didn't improve. And, you know, Lincoln Riley has to get a lot of blame for the lack of development of Spencer Rattler. So I'm looking at this South Carolina coaching staff like, how are they going to coach this guy up? Like, how improved is he going to be? Like, I'm really excited to see how Spencer Rattler performs this season. I think he's going to end up bouncing back. I think he's going to be one of the more interesting stories in all of college football that a lot of people are going to be keeping tabs on. And the SEC East, man, is going to be really fun to watch because, like, I think Tennessee is a team that could be one of the biggest sleeper teams in all of college football. You also have Kentucky. You got Florida. You have Georgia, who is probably going to be the presumed favorite to win it all. But for Spencer Rattler, you know, like, I feel like a change of senior is definitely what he needs to get his career back on track. And I feel like he had a really good spring game as well. And we already know he's most likely going to be the starting quarterback. But for Spencer Rattler, like, I'm really excited to see how his career ends up panning out. And for South Carolina, like, I definitely feel like last year, you know, you had some growing pains. You did. But this year, now you're going to have a chance to learn from those mistakes. Everybody's going to continue to get better. Like, this is a team that I think could win, you know, eight, maybe nine games this season with Spencer Rattler at the helm at quarterback. But you guys let me know how you guys feel about Spencer Rattler. How good do you guys think Spencer Rattler would be this upcoming season with the Gamecocks? Let me know down in the comment section down below. Make sure that you guys like the video, subscribe to the channel upload NFL videos, NFL content daily. Make sure that you check out the JT Sports Podcast. Every video that's uploaded on the channel is available in audio format on every single podcasting platform. Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts from, the JT Sports Podcast is available. I appreciate you guys for listening in on this episode of the JT Sports Podcast, and I will see you guys shortly with another episode.